Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books, where we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs. And I'm your host and former computer engineer turned entrepreneur, Manny Vaya. Well, hello, everyone. Today, I have a really special guest. Uh, I know I say that quite a lot, but today, this was a book that really brought me to tears at some point when I was reading it because uh, I realized the mistakes that I was making in building my business and what it had cost me. So with that said, I want to welcome the author of a really amazing book, Build a Business, Not a Job, David Finkel. David, welcome. Oh, Manny, thank you for having me on here. I'm really enjoying the, the chance to talk with you and your audience. Thank you, man. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to talk to you as well about the book. Uh, the book uh, is so uh, so good for someone like me and to I'm pretty sure for a lot of my audience because a lot of us get stuck in uh, building a business, which, you know, we are running away from our jobs. I started this business because I was trying to run away from my job. I, I used to work in a Fortune 500 tech giant. I used to manage billion-dollar cell phone projects, and I felt stuck, so I wanted to start my own thing. And then before you know it, my own thing has again become another job that I've created for myself That's because right. I feel I'm so freaking special that I have to do everything. And uh, that's probably like I am one of the people that, you know, I kind of, I am a poster child for the people you've written the book for in some ways. So tell us why you wrote this book. What were you seeing that caused you to write this book? Well, I appreciate that. I love the idea. First of all, the 2000 book idea. I, I've been reading, gosh, for the last 25 years, between 50 and 100, 120 books a year myself. So mm -hmm. I, I, I have, have actual useful books, plus the junk fiction, too, for fun. So I love that. Nice. So I was a lot like you. I, I got started with a business. I didn't come from corporate America. I don't know if anyone ever would have hired me. I started my own business, and I, 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 I hit an early success with that. And I was in my late 20s, early 30s, and thinking, oh my gosh, I've arrived. But when I really sat and thought about it, I was working 70, 80, 90 hours a week. Um, what used to be really fun had become very heavy. All this weight on my shoulders. And not just the time, and I was traveling two and a half weeks out of a month to do workshops and other parts, but the part that really got me, Manny, was all these people's livelihoods were on my shoulders. And I felt this pressure. You know, At that point, we probably had 30 or 40 uh, full-time equivalent team members. And it was a lot. And I realized I just wasn't enjoying it. My partner who had kids, he was 10 years older than I was. He was married, had kids. I was still single. So I didn't quite have that same pressure. Looking back, I can't imagine how I did it and how he did it. I mean, I've got three young kids now and I'm like, how did he do this? And we sat down one day and we said, no more. We set a goal and said, within 18 months, we're going to have this business be a business that is independent of us. And we didn't quite hit that goal, but we came pretty close. And when we made that decision, we started to think, okay, what were the systems we needed? Who were the people we needed? What was the training that needed to be in place? And we went through this series of places, and that was 23 years ago. And I'll just share with you, since that point, I've gotten so much, uh, so many more opportunities to experiment, refine, and what I realized that a lot of the things we did were great, and we still use them today, but a lot of what we did is, wasn't needed to be done. And so build a business, not a job is basically the bottom line, nuts and bolts, the mechanics of how to, to build an owner independent company. I, I get tired. People all the time say, oh, you should do this. You should do that. I'm, I'm always the person that likes authors who say, this is not what to do. This is how to do the what to do. And I mm -hmm. think if anything, that's probably been something I, I've, I've really taken to heart. So that's how the book came to be. Originally, it was out of my own experimentation with companies that I had scaled. Um, later, it was with coaching clients of businesses that we had scaled 
anywhere from one to $110 million companies. And then at this point now, it's it's just become a work of passion. It's a, a business is fun. It's a it's a puzzle. How do I help someone grow a business independent of them so they can actually have the business and have a life? Yeah, that's right. And you said some really important things there that uh, when I was reading the book, I I, I I realized how crucial they are. One of which you said you set the goal of building an owner-independent business because a lot of times you don't make that clear distinction or make that a clear stated goal in your business or in your in the life cycle of your business. So you're stuck in the normal day-to-day forever. But once you, I think somewhere in the book, you mentioned that this is one of the most important steps you can take, which is to literally set the goal to make the business owner independent. And, and Manny, it's not just to make it a goal because people keep their goals private, but to make it a stated objective and tell your team. I, I can't tell you the number of business owners who, who say, yes, I have that goal, but I'm, I'm scared to tell anybody as if, if they told their staff, their staff's going to have this fantasy that, oh, you know, Manny just wants to lie in a beach and not do any work while we do all that part exploitation. And it's not that at all. You know, your staff should be scared to death if you have an owner reliant company. If you get hurt or you lose interest or something goes on in your life that pulls you away, their livelihood is gone. So an owner independent business, a business that is has strategic depth is what we'll say. That's a business that gives opportunity. It gives the ability for contribution. Uh, it gives people a chance to grow. And it gives them a chance to, to, to participate and, and get some of the rewards of having a career that actually has a, a growth trajectory versus the other. Your staff will appreciate that. They want that as long as it's something you're open about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is something that I have lately been discussing with my staff and I've seen them being very, um, very welcoming of that rather than say, oh, no, this is why, why or that sounds like hey, exploitation or anything like that. Now, they have been very open. So um, I want to get into a little bit of your story, uh, David, here and tell, tell us because I know you were an athlete from your past life and you've done a lot of other amazing things as well. So tell us a little bit about the business you were in. What kind of business was that that was running you dry and um, like the the escape at the time? Uh, paint a little more picture for me. Sure. That so I played field hockey, which is rare for in the U.S. for that part, but around the world, quite a common sport for men to play. And I was playing on the U.S. national team for about eight wow. years. I was training to play, and I was going to play in the Atlanta Olympics. And then in, in 1995, I started having all kinds of problems with my back and nerves. And turned out I had a tumor in my hip. No one knew about it. They ended up removing that about a week before the Olympic trials. And clearly, I wasn't going to be able to try out, even though I'd been on the national team and a cap into the national team for the U.S. Wow. Everyone has to try out. So I, I let that go. And it was you know heartbreaking, if you could imagine. Um, I, I'll share a quick story on that. I was in San Diego living at the time. And this is... God's honest, true story. I walk out one day. I'm living in an attic of a garage because that's all I can afford, a converted garage. I go to the post box. It's near where I'm at in Mission Hills. Lovely neighborhood, crappy garage I'm living in. And there's these people lining the street. And Manny, there's this guy running down the street holding a torch. I kid you not. I walked out at the street at the exact time on the one street that they were taking the torch, which they were running it all through all 50 states before the wow. 1996 Olympics. And I just thought, God, how could you be so cruel? It's like oh I'm watching God. the parade go on without me. And, and it was at that point I met a, a person who became a really important influence in my life. His name was Peter, a good friend at the time. 
and he had been successful investing in real estate. And so he and I teamed up and he taught me how to invest in real estate, buying houses. You know, toward the heyday of us, we were doing probably two, 300 single family houses a year, buying and renting and or reselling. And we started teaching other people to do that. And that was the first business. We built it up. We were working at the end about uh, somewhere between 1,800 to, tw- uh, to 2,500 mentoring, coaching clients per year we were working with when I sold my half of the company. Um, I was 35 at the time and trying to figure out what what am I going to do for the next iteration of my life. And, and, and that's, in a nutshell, really quickly what my story was. I, I enjoyed the real estate. I enjoyed the teaching of it. But I tell you, I did not enjoy being on a plane, you know, two two and a half weeks a year on roads and hotels. It just was, it was too much. So your business, I mean, by the way, uh, that's kind of crazy that you were right here in Mission Hills. I'm in San Diego right now in downtown, so I can just <laughs> see all of that happening. For 20 um, years, Manny, for 20 years. Damn. Uh, and uh, the story of uh, the torch right at the same time. That's what is going on. Um, unbelievable. So, you were in a place that a lot of the listeners here probably are today. And a lot of my good friends are. A lot of my friends are in the space, in the online marketing space where sure. they are the brands, they are the people who are, who are the knowledge deliverers, who are the people who, who literally are everything for the business in some ways. And I'm really interested to learn what, like, as you as you evolved over the last 20, 25 years from that business to doing all of these things, how did you make the transition or maybe not, but what you have learned over the years as someone who is the personal brand themselves, what yeah. is the evolution for their business? So I'll, I'll share quickly four things I think will be really useful for that. The, the first part I'd share is background. So with the first real estate coaching company, you know, Peter and I were, were the brand and we had, we, we had to learn a lot the hard way. You know, with my current business coaching client, collectively we've worked with, you know, what, several thousand coaching clients with both businesses. And so how do, I, I couldn't do that many. When I first started both companies, I was the coach. Mm-hmm. And so how did I build a co- coaching infrastructure behind it? So the first thing I would say is, it seems impossible because everyone asks for you. You would say I'm, I'm selling a, a, a service from my information business, which is some kind of consulting or coaching or um, live event. Well, why aren't you there, right? So it feels like we're the brand. But the reality is it's the person who actually is doing the selling that everyone asks for. So my first comment is the moment I get my first successful salesperson other than me, it's like a light at the end of the tunnel. I realize, wow, if I were 10 plus years ago selling my first coaching client and they I'm the one who brought them into the program. They want me to be their coach. Of course they do. I'm the one that they have the trust and the respect and the, and the sense of connection with. But the moment it's um, Tim who's doing that sale, Tim can easily sell any of the coaches that I have working with me, whether they're full or part-time equivalents or employees or however I want to go about that. So how can you start to, to create a process by which you do your sales conversion? And so, for example, if I'm selling via a webinar, can I find a way to make that webinar not have to be just me? I can make it an ever webinar where, where things are going that way, or I can make it where people now are inquiring that I have a sales process that's a scripted out part that someone else can do the conversation piece. So one, as soon as I can get someone else other than me selling, it becomes a lot easier. Two, I have to ask myself, do I actually have a structure for how I fulfill on my service offering? So if I'm doing a mm-hmm. consulting option, whether I'm, I have a special marketing 
um, uh, offer that I do for people or I do something in the self-development space or like for me, I teach people how to scale a company and make it owner independent. When we can create a process by which we take somebody through to do that, now I can actually take that same process and I, I look at it this way with our coaches. 70% of what they do is the Maui way, the Maui mastermind, my company's way. 30% is the secret sauce that they bring, unique, different, they customize. If it was 70% them, 30% what I have, there's too much variation with that. And I have strong coaches, weak coaches, and so clients, some of which are thrilled, some of which aren't. But when I have 70, 30, that, that's the mixture I found really works well, where there's a structured part for how they take somebody through. And, and, and now we have a consistency of the outcome. We have enough customization. We have enough uh, personality. But the 70% the core um, gives the, a great result. And we see it. Clients for us grow five times faster than the average privately held company. Why? Because there's a structured approach to growing and scaling a company the right way. Third one I'll share real quickly is this is not an all or nothing. This is not like a light switch. Owner independent, everyone looks for the company or totally brand personality me. Um, it's, a, it's a process. And so you start to ease yourself every quarter a little bit more, a little bit more with that. And the third and final kind of comment, or probably fourth comment I'd make here, Manny, is this. You can still be the spokesperson, but you have to have other people who can also be a spokesperson where you give them permission to own the story. What I mean by that is I don't want my coaches talking about, well, David says this and David says that. I want my coaches to say, we. I don't want my salespeople to say, well, David's company. I want my salespeople to say, our company. When it becomes our and we, and I give them permission to own it, now in the minds of the marketplace, I still might be the guy that people look at, oh, you wrote the books or other parts. But it's remarkable about what other people can do when they feel like they can own the voice. And I think a lot of people who run brand personalities, they're so afraid that someone's going to say or do something to tarnish what they've worked so hard for that they're intentionally choosing to be very small. If I can communicate the voice of the brand, the boundaries of the brand, the values of the brand, I need to give people an opportunity to speak from the voice of us and we. Wow. That is really good. Um, especially what the last point uh, uh, because as someone who has a YouTube channel I always think about okay well maybe we bring someone else to do some of the summaries maybe we bring someone else to take over some of the content pieces of the puzzle or some of the uh, summary pieces of the puzzle or all those different things uh, partly uh, sometimes I get scared that they will not be able to do a good job or they will not have the same perspective. But then uh, as, as we're talking about it, it, it makes sense. Uh, there's a certain level of, um, uh, I think you talk about in the book, the more I think I'm special, the more I'm going to be stuck. That's right. Um, and that's one of the biggest challenges, especially as a personality brand business, because I'm constantly thinking I am somewhat special, which I need to let go of that need to feel special and let the business do what it needs to do. That's right. And, you know, here's an interesting comment here, which is, th I'll say it for you, but it applies to any of your listeners here or any of the people who are viewing this on YouTube. One group of people knows your brand so well and they buy into your values, your vision for what you have. It's your clients, your customers, in your case, your viewers, your audience. I bet out of the tens of thousands of people who are watching this, there's at least one other person who is really good at interviewing who is mm -hmm. really insightful with that and loves the brand that you have 
and he or she would probably be great as a as an additional person to extend um, your content reach. So consider that. And 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 the other part, I, I guess, I would mention to anyone watching this is, we all have this we all have this thing called an appendix, right? This useless organ in our body. Well, there's a second vestigial useless organ we have in our body and no one realizes this but it, it's called your control gland and for most of us we have an inf we call controlitis this inflammation of our control gland we want to control everything mm -hmm. and the more i control it's fear-based the more i basically have chosen to have an owner reliant company that i'm trapped in i've, I've chosen to be self-employed i've yeah. got to learn how to intelligently healthfully and and profitably let go not all at once that's abdication but in stages over time to, to my team to my systems and to my culture yep yep makes sense are you running a business with annual revenues in excess of one million dollars if so are you interested in discussing the greatest business and personal development books with other like-minded entrepreneurs who are also running million dollar plus businesses if you answered yes i invite you to apply to my million dollar book club by going to million dollar book club.com you see the million dollar book club is a private book club and mastermind group where you get to discuss the greatest books and ideas with other like-minded entrepreneurs who are generating at least one million dollars annually so if you're interested in the book club I invite you to apply for it at milliondollarbookclub.com. Uh, so let's actually talk about the stages you or the levels you describe as the, diff the three different levels yeah. of a business, going from being completely owner-reliant to being owner-independent. Let's talk about level one. Uh, how do you define that? And um, let's... let's get into it. Absolutely. So for those of you who are going to read the book, it's chapter three. And I'm going to put up here, for those that aren't listening to the podcast, you can actually see a quick diagram of that. We'll laugh and, and smile about that. But three levels to building a business. A level one business is the startup. I'm scrambling for my first customers. I've got no control, no freedom. All I'm trying to do is to try to figure out how to make this thing even work. At a certain point, I reach level two. A level two is a business that works. We break that down to early middle and advanced stages. So an early stage level two, you've had some early sales and your struggle right now is how do I reach the point of, of actually profitability? How do I make this a viable ongoing business? And again, you're scrambling, you're doing pretty much everything. And, and at this point, you don't really have much help from anybody other than maybe a few people that you task with. But again, that's command and control. You do this, you do that, come back together. Once you reach middle stage though, middle stage is the owner dependent company. It works. The business works as long as you're there to make it work. The challenge with this is this is where probably nine out of 10 business owners get stuck. Whether they have a half million dollar company, whether they have, a, I've, I've had people I've worked with that have had $50 million a year companies that are still middle stage level two. The distinction is if every key decision comes back to you, if all the real work comes back to you, if you can't, if you can't walk away from the business for even two weeks for a real vacation, you have a middle stage level two business. It's great. You can make a healthy living, but you, you own a job. Regardless of how many thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars you earn, you still have a job. The distinction, the trick is how do I go from there to advanced stage level two? This is where now I'm starting to build a leadership team. I've started to implement throughout the systems, not just throughout the company, not just the systems, but the culture that says we create, refine, use, reshelf when we're done, and over time delete and trim systems as we go, not just as a one-time occurrence, but as part of the culture of what we do. 
that leadership team plus systems that become part of the culture, now you're growing a business that's starting to have a life independent of the owner. At first, you have one or two key leaders, then later you'll grow. And at some point, you'll have leaders in all the key areas of the company. Eventually, you'll reach level three, a truly independent company. We call this an exit stage company. At this point, I can do one of three things. I can continue to own it and actively participate to continue to grow it. The Jeff Bezos of the world that want to take their $50 million fledgling Amazon and turn it into a $50 billion company, great poster child for that. I can instead choose to um, sell the company. I can put it on the market. I've got plenty of clients who've sold their companies, whether it be for a few million or for in the 50 to $100 million range. Or I can choose to step back and own my company more passively. And I'll tell you, my favorite strategy with the business is not to sell it. I love owning the company, and I just don't want to work quite so many hours in it. Um, I want to make it a, a work of passion and joy. So I, I've always made the choice for, you know, for at least the last, what, 10 years since my kids were born. I'll work 40 hours a week max on all the companies that I own or I'm, I'm on the board for, um, and I'll take 10 weeks or more of real vacation. I don't know what it is for your listener, but if they set this goal, and at least, here, here's a cool part, if they just take at least one vacation every 90 days, whether that's a long weekend, four days away from the business over a weekend, or it's a two-week trip, you have to get away from your business to give sunshine for your team to stand on their own feet and grow and to see where it's still owner-reliant so you can make other changes with it. Again, you don't have to go away for a month. Um, although I've had clients go away from their business all summer. They've, they've made that as a challenge for themselves. But can I go away for a three-day weekend? What happens to the business? If I can't start stepping away, I don't train myself to let go. I don't train my team to be independent of me. And I don't see where the company is most reliant and, and dependent upon me to fix that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So <laughs> we covered quite a lot of ground here. <laughs> Let's start with the... Uh, first level, the startup phase, right? Sure. That's the product market fit. That's how I, I saw it. So it's it's the stage where you're not yet sure if your product will meet the demands of the market or you're trying to fit, you're, you're still trying to make the sale, like you're still trying to see if the product has right. any legs and if it will sell, right? That's right. So in that phase, um, like going from that to level two beginning phase, it's a lot of, product market innovation or product market iteration or whatever you want to call it. But as soon as you get to what, early stage uh, level two, now you really have to focus on selling. That's right. Now selling becomes your core, core. If there was your like job. one thing, one thing you need to do that is to sell. That's right. Right. And um, now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of saying this because I, I'm, I'm trying to see if I, I can put all of these in perspective. Now at level two, middle stage, you're also selling a whole lot because still quite a bit of your job. And I find myself in that stage right now where I'm stuck in exactly what you said. The, the challenge is that my employees are dependent on me right now where they're looking to me to tell them what to do next. Otherwise they go off into the weeds and do stuff like spend three days uh, watching training videos rather than do uh, specific uh, productive things. So that's where... What are the things as a level two middle stage business owner should I be focusing on? I, Absolutely. Yeah. So let me give you a quick technique here. This is a wonderful tool we use it with our business coaching clients. We call it the sweet spot analysis. And there's a copy of it in Build a Business, Not a Job. I'm almost certain it is. I, I'm 99% I'm certain. If not, it's in Scale or one of the other books that I've read. By the way, for all our 
viewers and listeners, uh, Dave's going to give away a free copy of the book to everyone who's who's going to be here till the end to watch this. So make sure to you listen and watch. Yeah. So the idea is you think, what what's the biggest limiting factor, capital L, capital F, the one ingredient that your company currently needs, the biggest constraint to growth? You might say, we need more sales. Or you might say, we have, we have enough sales. What we need is we have more business than we can handle. We need capacity. You know, if we can't fulfill in our service or our product, I can't take the business. I'm turning business away. I don't know what it is, but every business has one limiting factor. Now, over time, as you solve one limiting factor, another one appears. But if I ask every 90 days, I just ask, what's my number one limiting factor? And then I brainstorm what are 10, 15, 20 ways to push that limiting factor back. I take my list and I put it through two filters. The first filter I call my low-hanging fruit filter. I ask of every possible idea and I ask, is this a low-hanging fruit? Is it easy to do, high odds of success? Is this a low-hanging fruit? Is this a low-hanging fruit? If it is, I put a little LH on it. Or in our tool, um, you can get a copy of it. It's in the book. You can download it later on. You can check the box for LH, for low-hanging fruit. Then in a second separate pass, I go to all 17 ideas I have, and I ask, is this a home run? If it works, does it have a big impact? If it does, I check the box for HR, for home run. And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for which ideas are both low-hanging fruit and sweet spots. So think about it for a moment. By definition, I've chosen my number one biggest constraint to growth, and I picked an idea that's both low-hanging and a home run to push it back. So if every quarter I take some of my discretionary time and I just simply push back that limiting factor by applying my sweet spot idea, that's probably the best place for the owner to focus. So that's where I would tell you, I'd ask you, Manny, what's your number one constraint to growth? What's brainstorm 10, 20 different ways we could push it back? What's ask which are low-hanging fruit, second separate pass, which are home runs, and we would circle those things that are both, which are our sweet spot, and if you have four or five, we can't do all four or five, we pick one or two to do this quarter. Hmm. You still have to, you know, the other 85% of your time taking care of the day-to-day of the business, you got to push it forward, but with my 10, 15, 20% of my discretionary time, that's where I put my best time and attention. I put it on that limiting factor and pushing it back using my sweet spot idea. You do that, every quarter you're going to have extraordinary progress in your company. It really is that simple. Okay. So this is definitely a meta-level idea that I believe any level business, whether you're level one, level two, level three, you can uh, apply these principles and uh, apply this exercise in some ways to find that thing that you push on. Now, let me ask you, from all the experience you've had over the years uh, working with different kinds of businesses in the six to seven, early seven-figure range, what is this, like, where do they get stuck in middle stage level two? What are the levers you get them to pull the most? Like, what are the things that challenge them the most? Yeah. So three of them. One is the, the business owner and his or her desire, or it's not desire for control. It's fear of feeling out of control. I get it. I, it's not that I want to be in control because I, I know I don't want to be in control. I just hate feeling helpless or I hate watching things happen where I'm not at all, you know, where I'm out of control. I hate the feeling. So that's the first one. I've got to learn to intelligently, incrementally let go. And here's a quick idea about that. So let's say you have a staff member, Manny. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have uh, Gurpreet works for you, and Gurpreet has been with you now for four years. And so you're having him now do all the actual publishing of your posts online for the video and or for the, the, the podcast side. You ask yourself, okay, 
right now, Gurpreet keeps coming back to me to tell him what to do. Hmm. What if I were to give him ownership of this functional responsibility in the business? I ask, where does he stand on the capability spectrum? On a scale of 1 to 10, how capable and experienced is he in this area? You might say, well, you know what? He's been doing this for four years. He's an 8. In which case, I can easily hand that to him, and I can set, here's how I'm going to check in. Here's what my informational needs are. I want to know each week that you've done this, or I want you to put it up on the project management system so I can see that the tasks were done, or I want you, when we meet biweekly, to update me if there's any problems that are going on, whatever your needs are with that. If you're talking to, let's say, it's now Carlos, and Carlos has been with you for two weeks, his capability of that might be a two. You can't give him ownership of it at a two on the capability spectrum. The mistake I see, Manny, is people say, well, I tried giving people control and ownership, and they just screwed it up, and it caused lots of problems. Well, what happened was they gave someone who was a two on the capability spectrum out of 10 the ownership, and he or she wasn't ready for it. Or they treated the person who was an eight as if he was a two, and they basically made them want to leave or just to say, screw you, you do it your way if you're going to be that micromanaging. So what mm -hmm. I need to do is I need to adjust how I manage that person relative to their capability on that spectrum. So that's one thing. It kind of comes back to the mindset. Where does this person stand on this functional responsibility in a scale of 1 to 10 on capability and experience? The higher they are, the more I should be hands-off on how I manage and just set what the criteria of satisfaction is. The lower they are, the more I'm going to have to train them, coach them, walk them through that, let them follow me along. One. Number two, the place they get trapped in this thing is they think that only they can do something. Um, mm -hmm. I'm the only one who can interview to draw out the right answers. Well, you are probably incredibly good at it, Manny, but you know, so are about a, a million other people out of the billion on the planet Earth. I, I, I thought I was the only person who could ever write some of the things that I've written. Well, there's some professional writers out there that can write circles around me. I can do some hiring of them and have them do, do some of the heavy lifting and some of the drafting for me with my ideas that I dictate. The other side of it for you, the third one here, is you're either really strong operationally or you're really strong sales and marketing. That's 90% of the business owners. There's 10% that are really strong in the financial piece and stink at both the others, but we'll play the odds here. Mm -hmm. If you're really good operationally, your first key hire is someone on the sales side. No question mm -hmm. about it. Or marketing. If you're really good sales and marketing, you've got to get a really good operations person. So I came from a background. I was always really good on the sales marketing side. My first key hire, her name was Paige. When I hired her on, my business was doing just around about a million dollars a year. She was expensive. I thought, how am I going to possibly afford her? She was a six-figure hire, about 100 grand a year base. So within a year, though, my company was doing $3 million a year. What was the difference? I freed up about 30 hours a week of me in the operations to focus on sales and marketing. Two things happened from that. Number one, I hated operations. And I was afraid of bringing in more business because it would mean more operations. When she's there, I want to bring in more business because I could just have her take care of it. The second part is now that I have my time back, I can focus on my point of maximum contribution. So, you know, if I'm great on operations, I need a sales marketing person. If I'm great on sales marketing, I need an operations person. And this needs to be a, a, a really strong hire. Now, if I can't afford a full-time person, buy a fraction of a person, buy 20 or 25 hours of a person each week. And here's the magic number. If I get them for at least 20 to 25 hours per week, I'm their main gig. 
even mm-hmm. if they've got other stuff, if I've got them for less than 20 or 25 hours, I'm an afterthought. But as soon as I get over that 20 to 25 hour hump and I set the right expectations, I'm fine with them having other clients. I just expect that when push comes to shove, my stuff gets shoved to the top because I'm the biggest client for them. And that's something that I just have to clarify for whoever I bring on to do that if I have to go that part-time route. This is great. Um, I definitely, as soon as you said, like some are good at operations, some are good at sales and marketing. I'm more of an operations, more of a product fulfillment side. Like I love sure, you're the reading engineer. books. Yeah, I love reading books and summarizing books. And uh, yeah, you're the, kind of, you're the brilliant engineer that really wants to be processed and pull things out and learn. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. The sales and marketing part for you is clearly not your favorite place to be. No, it's not. It's something I have learned over the years. And I've tried to get, uh, you know, uh, tried to, be really consistent with systems and process and sales and marketing, but they're nowhere yeah. as good as what I do with my operation side or fulfillment side. Uh, of course. Which we could probably club together. Um, so yeah, uh, I can already see, but uh, most of my hiring over the last few months has been in the operation side because I guess that's what I feel I am more adept at. So I, I'm drawn to hiring people along the same lines again. Um, it's, yeah, it's insane. And one of the things, like, um, I think your book and a couple other books really got me into believing that hiring is one of the most important things I do in my business. Like, it wasn't just, because uh, uh, I used to hate hiring. I think every entrepreneur in some way, shape, or form doesn't really enjoy the process of going through talking to 25 people to find that one person that may or may not work out. So hiring is one of the most painful things. But I learned to enjoy, not enjoy, but learn to realize the importance of hiring to put that in my, like, quadrant two activity as like one of the most important things I do in the business. Well, since we're talking about books, I'll make a recommendation. So there's a guy who's an acquaintance. He's a really nice man, but he's brilliant. His book was great. His name's Jeff Smart. He wrote a book called Mm. Who, probably the best book on hiring I've I've ever read. And I've read a lot. Who by Jeff Smart. If you want an introduction later on, let me know. I'll introduce you for, for this part. But it's a great book. New York Times bestseller. And it deservedly so. Deservedly so. I've I've read it probably two and a half times. Or actually, I read it once, listened to one and a half times through it. It was it was worth a second pass through. It was that good. Nice. Um, it's on my list now of books to yeah. go through. Yeah. Are you interested in skyrocketing your productivity? In the 10X Productivity course, I have summarized the knowledge from 50 of the world's greatest books on productivity. The course has over 300 of the greatest ideas on productivity, time management, brain performance, goal setting, execution systems, strategy, leverage, habits, routines, rituals, basically everything you need to learn in order to achieve massive results at a very rapid pace. Now here is a little catch. Every time I add new book summaries to the 10X Productivity course, the price of the course goes up. However, if you join the course today, not only will you get the lowest course price possible, you will also get all the book summaries I add to this course in the future for lifetime for free. Now, if you want to check out the course, just head on over to 2000books.com slash results. Um, all right, so uh, this is good. Uh, we're, we're talking about going from stage two or middle stage Level two to, to advanced stage level two. Advanced stage level two. Once we cross the hurdles that we we're just talking about, like especially with peoples and systems, I feel, yeah. which uh, are really the the challenges right now. I'm feeling people and systems, and I believe those are like the big pillars of 
well, you quantify pillars differently, but in um, uh, the, uh, <laughs> pillars of putting this together, what happens in stage three? Like, what are the challenges that I should be anticipating in stage three, as you've seen happen with your uh, clients, with your... Uh, yeah, so an advanced stage level two business, the biggest pitfalls that they're going to deal with, number one, um, strangely enough, this is now when they start to grow pretty quickly. They can grow really too quickly. They can outgrow their cash flow. They can outgrow um, their ability to fulfill. They can outgrow their ability to continue to consistently sell. And so I'll, I'll give you an example for each. Um, if I have to put my money in up front and it takes me 90 to 120 days as a cash flow cycle to get my money back, you know, between when I have cost of goods sold and when I actually have collection on that, um, that's going to be really difficult. I've got to have enough cash reserves to handle that if I scale up. And so I've seen some of our clients get stuck in that cash crunch period. You, as long as you know it and plan for it, you can be smart at it. So if you have the longer time between when you have to spend money on cost of goods sold to produce your product or your service, and when you collect, the more carefully you have to manage cash when you grow. The shorter that period, the easier that becomes and the less of an issue it is. If it's the production side, here's where it hurts people they start to outgrow their ability to consistently produce. And what happens is the quality goes way down. And now the reputation and their brand gets strongly knocked. They start getting bad reviews, especially in today's world. I mean, you know, whether the reviews be through con you know, conventional places like Yelp, or if it's an information person, it's, you know, David, that last book, well, gosh, the first three were great, but that last one, you know, on the Amazon reviews or something. So we got to be really careful on quality with that part. The best way to control for quality is not just systems. Systems by themselves will be ignored. And I'll say that again because I watch it with our clients. Systems by themselves will be ignored because most people, what they do, they say, here's the systems you must follow. They kind of come top down. The only way that systems truly work well is when it becomes part of the culture of the company, which means bottom up. Hmm. Even if I have people who work for me and I have systems and I ask, you know, um, Letty, here's the system for how to do this. I need to give her a voice about the system. You know what? Can you use this system for the next 60 days? And then I want you to keep a notebook about the different things that work well about it and how we can improve that system. The moment she has a voice where she feels that she can actually give feedback that will be listened to and where valuable implemented, she's now going to buy into those systems because she's not just a passive uh, prisoner to the systems. And, and now I can control for quality. And then on the sales marketing side, this is what happens. Um, I overstaff my operations with fixed cost. Mm -hmm. I have a slowdown on my sales, and now I'm way overstaffed. And so what I need to learn is how can I make sure that if I don't have consistency with cash flow, like if I have to keep selling and selling, then I have to be more cautious about what kind of fixed overhead I take in terms of scaling my operational capacity. There's a couple ways to do that. One way, for example, for our coaching business, we have you know hundreds of clients who pay monthly. That's a very consistent cash stream. Because of that, I can staff with a lot more predictability. There are other people who teach about business and all they do is sell seminars or they sell coaching as a package, you know, 60 days of coaching, 90 days of coaching. That model requires a lot more flexibility on staffing because they might have a big sales month or a low sales month, which requires me to staff appropriately. And so if Anything for your listener, if there's a way they can turn their, their, their income stream, a portion of that, into this recurring piece of it, you know, I don't want to sell a workshop. 
I want to sell a series of this. I don't want to have a relationship that's one and done. How do I build a relationship and have enough of a track record that I can predict some of my cash flow over time? Because it makes staffing really easy. If I can't predict staffing, here's my one suggestion to your, your viewers, your listeners. Use some outsourced solutions that give me more control, even if I have to pay a premium for those outside subcontractors. Mm -hmm. Because if I do it all with in-house staff, even though it's the most economic way of doing it, I can almost guarantee what's going to happen. Because it happened to me. I had a business. We were growing at about 45 50% per year for a four-year period. So I staffed up. And then we had a sales down. We dropped by about two and a half million in sales. I was overstaffed by about $100,000 per month. I fought, I fought it, I fought it, I fought it. A year later, I had to make some cuts. It cost me a million dollars of profit right there mm -hmm. because I kept that payroll on too long. So I just need to be aware of that. If my cash flow is, is, is up and down, I have to be more um, conservative with, with, with that. If my cash flow is predictable, I can staff and scale accordingly. Nice, nice. Uh, I know we have so much, so much to talk about, but we're running out of time here, David. I know I want to be respectful of your time. Otherwise, we're, we'll be talking about it for a long time. Uh, but for some of you guys who might be interested in talking to David, I will have you on the Million Dollar Book Club as well. I'm excited to have you on that, where it's people who have million dollar plus businesses uh, who can talk to you and discuss some books. So, We'll keep that on the back burner for now. That happens later in, I think, earlier next year. But, uh, David, for those who are itching to learn more about what you do, now that they've gotten, gotten exposed to this idea, tell us where to find you, where to find the book. I know you're giving it away for free as well. So tell us all about uh, sure. what you guys do. So they get to MauiMastermind.com. That's our website, M-A-U-I-M-A-S-T-E-R-M-I-N-D.com. So MauiMastermind.com. They'll find a copy of Build a Business, Not a Job there, they can you know, get it for free, three different versions of that for free. Um, they can get a Kindle version, a PDF version, or an iPub version from that. If they want the physical, they can pay the shipping and handling, and we'll send them the physical hardcover version. If you are on Amazon, you can also go to Amazon and, and, and buy that or any of the other books that I've written on Amazon for sure, Barnes & Noble, um, with that part. But what I would encourage them is on the site, there's actually one other thing I would really encourage them to do. We have our, our business owner toolkit which is a series of about 16, 17 different videos and PDF tools. And it's also on there for free. I think they'll get some great value. My belief is, is that we give enough value, whether it be through the articles I write on my syndicated column for Inc. or other places, and the right people find us. So take advantage of that. If you know of another business owner, you know, pass the word on to them, him or her. But MauiMastermind.com. And by the way, I've been listening to your podcast, uh, Scale. Love it. Uh, for Thank anyone you. who's uh, struggling with the different uh, perspectives on build a business or brand highly recommend that one as well it's scale with jeff hoffman i think right yeah um, it's a syndicated radio show is that what it, it is? is and jeff is uh one of the co-founding team members of priceline.com he's he's been a, a friend and a co-author of my second to last book which was called scale and he's phenomenal i mean he just i thought i had scaling challenges going from one to two two to four four to eight and so forth he went from zero to 200 million in two years and then from 200 million to a billion in revenue in two more years. I mean, it was incredible what they did with Priceline.com. And his yeah. stories that he shares are just like right to the point gold for any entrepreneur. And, and, and he was kind enough to be part of that, that uh, year-long project for that podcast. So I hope they enjoy that too.
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, I know you're writing a new book now, or you've written a new book. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, uh, a teaser about that, and why we should read that one. Sure. So the book is called The Freedom Formula, How to Succeed in Business Without Sacrificing Your Family, Health, or Life. And the the the, the challenge that it was designed for, which was, I know I should work smarter, David. Everyone says it, but dang it, how do I do that in the face of 100 emails a day, 1,000 text and customer interruptions and all the rest, all these demands on me? So essentially what the freedom formula is, it's the last 10 years of my life to give my take on how do you operationalize working smarter. This is how you get your very best attention of you and your key staff members on those limited fewer things that make a bigger difference. How do you structure your day and your week, your quarter? How do you create um, uh, the design, the systems, the environment to make that work? And, and the book is just my very best of the best of you know, how do you work 40 hours or less each week and still build an incredibly rich, um, rewarding and rapidly scaling company without giving up everything to that. Awesome. I'm looking forward to reading that, digging into that, and hopefully getting you back on the podcast to talk about that. So, David, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I personally learned a lot from from just the short amount, and I hope our listeners will enjoy that as well. And get the book. I, I, I cannot recommend this book enough, really. like I've literally been preaching this book to so many of my friends off late. All of my friends are in similar situations. As you can imagine, we're, you know, we're in the same masterminds. We're running the same groups, and I can see all of us like running into the same issues. And I'm like, come on, you got to read the book, and let's talk about it. Let's implement the damn book. So, David, <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you, you very much for... for uh, for being here. A pleasure. Right. Really enjoyed um, sharing the done. time. Thank you.